you know, we had this meeting with our directors the last couple of days and uh, I just sat, I remember standing on the deck one time and looking around and you know, some of the best part of it was just the fellowship among everybody. They were building relationships and getting encouraged and that's an important part of what God does is relationship. So we used to have a lot more people in here. They must all be outside. (laughs) Praise God. Tell you, trying to control a crowd is like herding cats. It's just, it's hard to get everybody to do the same thing. Praise the Lord. How many, uh, of course, there's still a lot of people out, but how many of you were not here last night? Could I see your hand if you've only come this morning? Just a few people. Praise God. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start. Those that are gone are just missing it. Praise God. Let's turn over to the book of John chapter 8. And I want to share some things with you. I've taught on this before and I've, I've got... Uh, quite a bit of teaching on this, but, uh, and I'm not going to share this in its entirety, but I just want to give you a little snapshot of some of the things that, um, I'm going to talk about how important it is to be a disciple and to be a learner and to, and to grow in Christ. And this really is not the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity has been to get people to just get born again so that they wouldn't go to hell. And it's all about heaven and hell things. But they haven't taught people how to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And I just want to take some things here out of an experience that Jesus had that's recorded here by John in chapter 8. I won't take time to read the whole thing, but of course he had been under the criticism of the Jews and they had been challenging him. And uh, Jesus had been answering their questions and in, in... John chapter eight, verse 30, it says, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Now I could spend a lot of time on this, but it's really important that you understand that Jesus was being challenged and they're saying, you're of the devil, you're of Beelzebub. They were doing all of these things. But as he spoke and defended who he was, it says that many believed on him. And then in verse 31, then said Jesus to those which believed on him. Now, everything that we're going to read after this, Jesus is not speaking to his critics or speaking to the Pharisees who were rejecting him. This is talking to the people who believed on him. And look at some of the things that he said. In verse 31, then said Jesus to the Jews, which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now there's a lot of things we're going to cover here, but first of all, you need to see this. He's talking to people who believed on him. And he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed in truth. So there's a number of things that we can say from that. One of them is that just believing on Jesus does not make you a disciple. A disciple and a believer are not necessarily the same things. You can believe on Jesus and not be a disciple. And Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and and, uh, preach this gospel. And it says, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you to do. The Lord commanded us to go make disciples. He never gave us a command to make converts. 
Just people who acknowledged and believed that Jesus was the son of God. And you know, right here, I'm only two, three minutes into this. And I've already said things right here that I guarantee you is nearly diametrically opposed to the whole philosophy and mindset of the body of Christ today. And as I begin to develop this and I'm going to quote Jesus. And so it's not me saying this. I'm just going to be repeating what Jesus said. The further we get into this, did you know that there are multitudes of religious people today who will reject what Jesus was teaching right here? This is really opposed to the whole thrust of evangelism today. Nearly all evangelism is geared towards that people are dying to go into hell. We've got to tell them the truth and we've got to get them out of this and we've got to help them to go to heaven. And that is what evangelism is all about is getting people to convert and to acknowledge and believe that Jesus is the son of God. And that's basically the thrust. And then after they get born again, in a sense, we push that aside and we go after getting somebody else born again. And yet that is not what Jesus told us to do. He told us to go and make disciples. And Jesus here is talking to people who believed on him. And he says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? Just getting a person born again does not make them a disciple. You have to continue in the word. The very word disciple, I won't go into breaking it all down, but you could study that out. It means a learner or a follower. It's a person who is literally following the precepts of Jesus, a person who has learned the things of God. There are so many people today who claim the name of the Lord. And I guarantee you, if they were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict them. You know, in this nation, I forget the exact figures, but there's 68%, I think it is, that claim to be born again. Born again has become a popular phrase. And so people, there are like 68% that claim to be born again. And um, so anyway, there's a large segment of America that claims relationship with God. But then as you start, uh, I read a lot of the Barna surveys and they go into more than just asking, are you born again? They define being born again by your views. And they start asking questions. How many of you believe that the Bible is inspired by God? How many of you believe that Jesus is the only way to the father, that there is no other way. You can't be a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim and have relationship with God. And how many of you believe all, and they just start asking these questions. And as they start asking questions of a person who would truly, um, be changed on the inside, the numbers drop way on down into the 30%. And so my point is that, see, there's a lot of people that claim that they believe on the Lord. They would be similar to what's being quoted right here. They believed on him. And yet by any definition, they aren't disciples. They don't give on a consistent basis. They don't put relationship with the body of Christ as an important thing. This is something that always amazes me how that people who say that they are born again and love God can in their politics vote for people that are doing everything that is contrary to what the gospel says. I just don't, I don't understand that. It doesn't compute to me. But the reason is, is because there are, the church has preached that all you got to do is believe that Jesus is the son of God and that's it. And they're preaching belief 
acknowledgement of a truth, but they aren't preaching being a disciple. And the Lord never called us to do that. The Lord never called us to make converts, but he called us to make disciples. So here's Jesus speaking to people who believed on him. And you could say it this way, only if you continue in my word. In other words, it's not just a momentary thing, but there is a continuing relationship with God through his word. And I could spend all morning talking about this, but you cannot know God apart from his word. The word of God reveals God to us. You cannot just intuitively have relationship with God. Now it is true that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and shows us things and he will take the word of God and amplify it. And I'm not saying that our relationship is only with the Bible, but our relationship with God is revealed through the word of God. That's how he reveals it. Jesus is the living word. And there will not, you cannot have a relationship with God contrary to what the word of God reveals. So you have to continue in the word of God to have relationship with God and to truly become a disciple. You have to continue in it. It never finishes. So Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Man, there's, there's a lot I could say on that. But the Bible doesn't just set you free. You could take the Bible and keep it under your arm, laying on top of your head. It's not going to set you free. There are people, I actually was in a woman's house one time and I, she gave me some tea and I set the tea uh, cup on top of the family Bible. And when I did, she just, like, how dare you set something on top of the Bible? And I had to pull my cup off of there real quickly and you could see the ring of dust, you know, that was left. Uh, She didn't read it, but she honored it. And how dare I set something on top of the word of God. That's not going to set you free. Just having a Bible, a family Bible there that you respect and honor and you talk about the Holy Bible. It's only when you get these words off of the page and put them on the inside of you that you get set free. It's the word that you know that sets you free. This word has thousands of things in it that could transform your life, but it's only what you know that sets you free. If you don't know it, it will not set you free. And so he says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth that you know, the truth that has become revelation to you will set you free. Now he was speaking this to people who believed on him. So if he was talking to people who believed on him and said, if you will continue in my word, then you will be free. That implies that you can believe on the Lord and still not be free. And you know, again, it doesn't take much effort for you to look around and see people who claim to believe on the Lord and they are bound, they're poor, they're depressed, they're stressed, they're angry, they're bitter. Again, you can go into the average church today and you can see the same rate of divorce You can see the same rate of fear, the same rate of depression, the same number of people that are sick. There is very little difference between the world and the church. And it's because we've made converts instead of disciples. They haven't continued in the word. They don't know the word. They aren't free. You know, this conference that we're holding really is something that is abnormal. If the body of Christ was making converts the church should be discipling their people and we wouldn't have to come together and take 
a vacation and stuff to just saturate and absorb ourselves in the Word. This is what the church should be doing. But the average church, again, is preaching only believe on the Lord Jesus. And then if they believe on the Lord, uh, then they come together and they spend either one week or some of them. If you're a fanatic, you might go two hours a week or three hours a week. And I can guarantee you that there is no way that that is going to disciple you and teach you all of the things of God. The church has basically renounced or uh, ignored this responsibility to make disciples. And so because of that, that's the reason that we have to have uh, all of these tapes and materials to supplement what is happening. Now, again, I'm not against the church. Somebody might think that, but man, I am pro-church. I am for the church. I'm just saying that the average church has not done what the Lord has told them to do. There are some churches that are doing a great job, praise God. And man, I'm for the church, but I'm saying that the church as a whole has a, uh, ignored this command to make disciples. And because of it, there's lots of people that believe on the Lord, but they aren't free. And Jesus said, you have to continue in my word. And then the truth that you know, the truth that is revealed to you is what makes you free. And when Jesus said this, look at the response of these people who believed on him. This isn't talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. This is talking about the believers. Here's the response of the believers. Said so they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free. First of all, let me just say that, you know, here they are saying, we've never been in bondage to any man. They were conquered by the Romans. The Romans were occupying the country. They were being totally dominated by them. And yet these people were sitting there saying, we've never been in bondage to anybody. This is just like so many people today say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. And they take offense when you begin to start saying that you have to become a disciple and continue in the word to be made free. And yet they're sick. They're poor. They are fearful, they're depressed, they're stressed out. Men's hearts are failing them for fear. Their marriages are falling apart. Nothing's working in their life and yet they'll take offense. How dare you say that I have to become a disciple to be made free? Not much has changed in 2,000 years. (laughs) Nobody's as blind as the person who refuses to see. And there are people today that'll sit there and think, what's wrong with me? And yet your life is a mess. God intended for us to have an abundant life. Man, the world ought to look at you and be envious and say, how come when the world is falling apart and, you know, when 9-11 happened and people were just petrified and afraid to fear, I mean, fly, I said that wrong, afraid to fly and things like this. You know what, Christians, it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have bothered you. And yet, again, I'm not saying this to condemn anybody, but I can guarantee you there are Christians sitting right here in this room that mean you lost your hope and your heart began to fail you. And what's going to happen? And you were exactly as an unbeliever because you didn't understand the promises about that God is with you always. He's going to take care of you. When Y2K came around, did you know who screamed the loudest and made the biggest deal out of that were Christians? The world thought it was a non-issue and it turned out to be a non-issue. But Christians were preaching, this is the beginning of the end. The uh, tribulation period is going to be ushered in. I actually have a friend who sold food and weapons in his church and told people to move out into the country. And people sold their houses and lost lots of money and did things that hurt them and destroyed them and told them to buy weapons so that they could kill people in the name of the Lord and protect themselves. Christians did that because they aren't disciples. 
Brothers and sisters, there should be a difference between the world and people who know the Word of God. But see, you can be a believer. You can acknowledge that God exists, but not be a disciple. The believers, the uh, followers of Jesus were called Christians. And that was originally a derogatory term. The word Christian means little Christ. And their, their accusers were saying, you guys are just acting just like that Jesus. You're turning the other cheek. You're loving people. You're healing people. You're walking in victory and stuff. And it was used as a derogatory term. Today, we call people Christians, and I guarantee you there isn't any Christian in them. There isn't any manifestation. They are mean as a snake. They're poor and sick and everything else. We've come a long ways from this. The Lord called us to be disciples, to be people that are just like him. And if we would continue in the word, then the revelation of that word would make us free. They took exception at this and got angry and uh, said, we've never been in bondage to any man. And Jesus answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If uh, the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus was talking to people who believed on him, not the scribes and the Pharisees, people who believe. And he says, the son will make you free. If you're living in sin then you are the servant to sin. You are being overcome. Disciples get free from sin. This doesn't mean that you can't sin, but it means that we aren't the slave of sin. Sin doesn't drive us. When you begin to understand the word of God, it sets you free from just getting mad and hating people when they do something to you. It, it sets you free from the lust and all of the things that used to bind you. And so he's talking about freedom in verse um, what is that? Verse 20, 37 says, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. This is talking to people who believed on him. He says, you're seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father and you do that which you have seen with your father. Boy, they were offended at that. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You know, you could say that if you were truly born again, if you were truly a child of God, then there would be some indication that you were like your father. You know, I was talking to Mike and Carrie Pickett. They're our directors of our Bible college in uh, Russia. And they just had a little baby. I think he's only 10 weeks old, little girl. And we were talking about her and they said it was so funny because... She'd get to doing things and she'd stick her tongue out like that. When she did things, her tongue would always stick out. And Mike says, that's the way I am. He says, I get to concentrating on something and right, he sticks his tongue out. And he says, it is scary that this little kid, there's no way that this little baby had observed Mike doing that. And yet here's this little, just few weeks old baby having the same mannerisms as the dad. You know why? Because that's his daughter. When we were truly born of God, if you become a disciple, you know what? You just start being like your daddy. You start having those attitudes. You start believing instead of operating in fear. You start walking in health. I think it was Paul who was talking about Jesus was so full of life that it was actually contagious. You can get so full of God that instead of being the one that always gets sick, when you walk into the room, people start getting healed. 
Demons start calling out. This is the way it should be. Jesus is saying this. He says, you're doing the deeds of your father. And in verse uh, 41, he says, you do the deeds of your father. They said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my words. You are of your father, the devil. He was talking to people who believed on him. Boy, that is a sobering thought. And you know what? I don't, I haven't completely got all of this yet. I am not willing to say that you know, that a person who isn't just a hundred percent manifesting victory and showing that they're a disciple and walking in the things of God is not truly born again. If you take the parable that Jesus taught in the 13th chapter of Matthew about the parable of the tares and the, among the wheat, it, he does make the point that there are lots of people in the body of Christ who are not truly born again and that don't have a true relationship with God. And so I know that that exists. But I think it's dangerous for us to get to looking and saying, because this person, you know, hasn't done this and they're, they aren't living right, then they couldn't be born again. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and the body of Christ has not preached the word. And so there are people I think who have received Jesus and are born again, but they're just ignorant. They don't know what the word of God says. And so because of it, you can't have faith in something that you haven't heard. So I believe that because of the way that we have not preached the word of God, therefore there are people who are born again who there's very little evidence of it in their life. But that is not the way that God intended it to be. And I can say based on this, Jesus was speaking to people who believed on him. I believe that there are people who have believed on Jesus, acknowledged that he is the son of God. They are considering themselves that they're born again. And yet they are of their father, the devil. This, this is a major deal. This means that there are a lot of people who, according to the church world, they just believe that Jesus is the son of God. They acknowledge him and they are considering themselves to be born again. But if Jesus was here, he would be saying, you are of your father, the devil. This is really serious. So what do we do with all of this? Well, I believe that if we would just go back to the original plan and if we would go and make disciples... If we would teach them and say that, look, it's not about just getting your sins forgiven and missing hell. As great as that is to just, you know, be able to have the assurance that if we die, we go to be with the Lord. As great as that is, uh, that shouldn't be the message of the church. What we should be doing is saying, yes, Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. And one of the benefits is that you don't go to hell. But he also said this, and we begin to start teaching people the word of God and we start making disciples. You know, if, if that was our focus, well, then you start by telling a person about how Jesus came and they start believing and receiving. And you aren't totally sure whether they're born again or not, but you just start teaching them the word of God and making disciples. And somewhere along the way, it may drop from their head to their heart. It may become reality, but I can promise you by the time they become a disciple, we can be sure of their salvation. 
we can be sure of their relationship with God. You know, we have a discipleship evangelism program is what we call it. And it's uh, 48 lessons and it goes through just real foundational things. And there, uh, anyway, I'm not going to take time to explain all of that, but we actually started going out and teaching this to people. And we would go knock on doors right here in Colorado Springs. And we would just say that we would like to help you any way that we can. Um, if you, if you have any needs from the Lord and if the person was sick, you know what we would do? We would start on the discipleship courses that taught you about how Jesus died to heal your body and to set you free. If the person was having financial problems, we would start on the things about how that Jesus died to produce financial prosperity and blessing in your life. If they were having marriage uh, relationship problems, we would start on the discipleship part and teach them about what Jesus said. And they, many, many of them were unbelievers. They didn't even know the Lord, but they admitted that they needed help in their marriage. They admitted, admitted that they needed finances. And so we would just start discipling them wherever they were and teaching them what the word of God says, irregardless of whether they're born again. And you know, without exception, when you start teaching on finances and say, the Bible, here's what Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall man give into your bosom. That, and we just go through all those scriptures. When you start doing this, a person who isn't truly born again and doesn't know Jesus, is, this is just crazy to them. It's like, how could this be? Man, here's my goal over here of having a new house, a new car or something. I'm short of it. And if I start taking a portion of what I've got and give it away, I'm not moving towards that goal. I'm moving away from this goal. How can this work? And it does not make sense to the natural mind. And so you start telling them, but it's because God is real. And you start talking to him and says, this doesn't work outside of God. It's only because God has promised that when you give, it's give, uh, given back unto you. And you just start introducing them to the Lord. And I can promise you, we've seen this with a lot of people that as you continue to talk to them, you can't walk in health. You can't walk in prosperity. You can't walk in relationship with other people to where when they've done something wrong, you turn the other cheek. You can't do any of these things without relationship with God. It comes up in every single thing. And I remember Don Crow, this one example, he had this man come to our meetings and this guy was having uh, marriage problems. The guy was actually high on dope the very first time that Don knocked on his apartment door. And Don went in and started teaching this guy, discipling him, and he was high on dope. And in the middle of the discipleship lesson, it was about the prodigal son. And he just asked him, so what do you think the father did? And this guy, oh, I know that the father was mad at him. The father probably, you know, did all these things. And he was just expecting rejection. And he says, well, let's turn over and read what the father did. And he read how the father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And this guy was high on dope. And yet as he was sharing these things, the very first lesson, he says, you mean God would forgive me? God would accept me? And Don says, well, what does this say? And he read it and he said, yes, that's what he's doing. This guy got born again, high on dope. He instantly sobered up. He instantly started. And so they just kept discipling him. And then it came to the lesson on water baptism. And he says, well, can I be baptized? And Don brought him over to his house and I think baptized him in the winter. That was exciting. 
And uh, anyway, this guy came to some of my meetings and I got the meeting and it was just miraculous. But you know, God, Don didn't go in saying, you got to be born again. You're going to go to hell. What he did was find out where his need was. And he just started discipling him and he's saying, here's what Jesus said. Would you like to be well? Would you like to teach me for me to teach you how you can be well? And I guarantee you, if you start teaching a person what the Bible has to say about healing, it is impossible for them to believe for healing and go beyond what they see and what the doctor says without having a personal relationship with God. You will have to bring that person into relationship. And along the way, as you go out and make disciples, the person has to be born again. You can't walk in these things. The Christian life isn't just difficult. It's impossible. It's humanly impossible. You have to have the power of God. You have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be able to reproduce what Jesus said. And so if our goal was to go out and make disciples and not converts, you know what? You could avoid this problem. Jesus was talking to people who believed on him. And finally, he says, you are of your father, the devil. They believed, but they weren't born again. They were children of the devil. What we need to do is put, quit putting the emphasis on you just need to be born again. And we need to be telling people that, look, you need to be a disciple. Discipleship is the goal. Getting people to be like Jesus is the goal. And along the way, they have to be born again. I am not saying being born again isn't important. I'm not saying it's not essential. But I'm saying that that is never what God told us to do. And because we've lessened the command... And we've been going out and telling people, believe or else. Or, you know, repent or else. Turn or burn. That's been the message of the church. And then once we get them saved, we throw them over in the corner and say, if they're truly born again, they'll live. And we go get somebody else. That's like having a child. You know, this Mike and Carrie Pickett have a 10-week-old baby. And I guarantee you, that baby takes a tremendous amount of effort. If you bring a life into the world, it takes a lot of effort for that child to grow and get to where they can feed themselves and take care of themselves. And it takes 15, 20 years before they're out on their own. But with Christians, we just get them born again and then say, well, you know, go to church. And church, average church is about one hour a week. Not making disciples. They have tremendous amounts of people that believe and acknowledge that God exists, but they aren't disciples. Because of it, they are, how many people have you ever run across who said, I would have been a Christian if I hadn't have meant one? Mahatma Gandhi was exiled to Africa and in exile, he read the Bible, was convinced that Jesus was the Christ. He believed and he went to a Presbyterian church to make a profession of his faith and to be converted to Christianity. And because he was black, these American missionaries would not let him into their Presbyterian church and rejected him. And he's the one that said, I would have been a Christian if I hadn't have meant one. And Mahatma Gandhi led 750 million people in India to independence from Britain, became the most influential person in that nation, could have turned the entire nation to God if it hadn't have been for people who were converts, but not real disciples. They didn't have the heart of Jesus and they rejected a person because of the color of their skin. And a guy, they missed a golden opportunity. God didn't call us to make converts. He told us to go out and make disciples of all nations. And you know, here's, here's another thing. If we were to, if the emphasis was on discipleship and see, this is what our Bible college is all about. This is what these schools are about. 
We aren't just raising up converts. We aren't just trying to have people get touched by God one time, but we are trying to teach people the word of God. And this is something that changed my life. When I first got turned on to the Lord, I just got so excited about the Lord. I wanted everybody to know the Lord. And so I modeled the things that I had been taught and that I had seen growing up in the Baptist church. And in the Baptist church, it was super evangelistic. You had to get people born again. So immediately I started knocking on doors. I knocked on a hundred doors every day of my life and witnessed to people. I witnessed to people coming out of 7-Elevens. We would stand up in a restaurant and we would pray out loud over our food. And when everybody, we got through and everybody's looking at us, I say, your food needs to be blessed too. I was really obnoxious. But this is what I was modeled. That's the thing that I was taught. We used to go to the bars and pass out tracks and do things. And we, it was all about getting people born again. And I would lead people to the Lord. I'd lead two or three people a day to the Lord and have them repeat a prayer after me. And then I'd go back and, you know, there was lots of people that weren't home. And so you'd go back and knock on those doors again. And I'd meet some of the same people over. And I remember about six months after I led this one woman to the Lord, quote unquote, to the Lord, I went back and knocked on her door and got to talking to her. And I'd forgotten because I saw so many people. I forgot about this woman. And at the end, she says, well, you came here six months ago and you prayed with me and I've already been born again. And yet the woman, there wasn't any evidence that she had ever been changed in her life. If she hadn't have told me, I would have thought for sure this lady doesn't know the Lord because there was zero evidence of it in her life. And at that same time, the Lord showed me the scripture out of uh, John chapter 15. I believe it's around verse 13. He says, you have not chosen me. Or maybe it's verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you to go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. He said specifically, I chose you to bring forth fruit that remains. And as I began to look back at the trail of people that had supposedly been led to the Lord by me, there wasn't any fruit that remained. I couldn't see that there was any change in their life whatsoever. They were just as depressed, just as discouraged. And man, I got discouraged because of that. And I said, God, something's got to change. And this is when the Lord put me in touch with the Navigators. They have their headquarters here in Colorado Springs. And the Navigators was formed or founded by Dawson, Dawson Trotman, a sailor. And on the ships, he started a scripture memorization thing, ministering to the people. And it, they started discipleship. And as I was exposed to their teaching, they, get, they had two examples that just transformed the whole direction of my life. One of them was that they said if a man led a thousand people a year to the Lord, that would be exceptional. I don't know anybody that has led a thousand people personally, you know, one-on-one to the Lord. But if, if a person could do that, that's like nearly three people a day average getting converted. If a person could do that, at the end of 35 years, a typical length of ministry, you'd have 35,000 people converted. And even though that would be wonderful, that wouldn't even make a drop in a bucket of some of these major cities. 35,000 people wouldn't even change something. And that's an exceptional deal. But at, at that rate, you wouldn't change even a city. If you had one person lead 35,000 people, to the Lord over a, a typical lifespan. But if you took the same man and if instead of just trying to make converts and have people repeat a prayer, but instead it was all focused on discipleship, 
And if that same man only led one person to the Lord every six months, but then when they got born again, he took them and discipled them and taught them all of the things and got to where they were actually in union and having relationship with God and so that they became a mature Christian. Well, if that was the way that he did it, at the end of six months, there'd only be two Christians, but they'd be Christians that were discipled. And then they each go out and they make, uh, they get one other person and they lead them to the Lord and they disciple them. At the end of one year, there'd be a total of four Christians. At the end of 16 months, there'd be a total of eight Christians. At the end of two years, there'd be a total of 16 Christians. But at the end of 12 and a half years, there would be more than six and a half billion Christians. And some of you are thinking, oh, that couldn't be. You figure it out. If at the 12th year, you only had half of the world's population converted, then they would all reproduce and double again and it, and it would be there. Uh, the second example that they gave, there's 64 squares on a, on a checkerboard. And if you took one grain of wheat and put it on that first square and then you doubled it on every square, there'd be one grain of wheat and then two grains of wheat and then four and then eight and then 16. But did you know by the time you got to the 64th square, you would have enough wheat to cover the continent of India over three feet deep. Discipleship is the way for the body to grow. But again, we're short-sighted and we see people dying, going to hell and you'll hear people preach messages about we got to get people out of hell and so they will have a crusade. They will preach an evangelistic sermon about you need to come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they will get people to come and sign a card and they want to follow up, but they, you know, they have to have community support and so they, they have churches that don't even believe that Jesus is the son of God that are part of the group that helps sponsor the thing. They have people that are uh, promoting all kinds of things, homosexuality among the priesthood, and they'll have all of these different things. And they turn the follow-up over to these churches that don't, they aren't disciples themselves. And so it always falls by the wayside. The people who are converted, regardless of the best plans, never go ahead. Very few of them ever become disciples. And so as a result, you might have a crusade in a city like Colorado Springs and see a thousand people born again, quote unquote. But then you come back in a year or two and what percentage? Uh, the statistics that I've seen are somewhere around 80% of those people never do go on to join church. They never do mature. And then out of the people who might have been truly born again, how many of them have become disciples to the point that they can reproduce? And so we go out and hold these crusades and we'll see a thousand people or 10,000 people born again. But what percentage of those become disciples that can go out and reproduce? And because of that, you have these people that are claiming the name of the Lord. They are representing God. People look at them and think, oh man, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. They go out and knock on doors and say, don't you want to be like me? And the person says, no. <laughs> Man, I got enough problems. <laughs> and so it's, it's actually turning people away from the Lord because of those who claim Christianity and yet they're mean and they're bitter and they're having problems and all of these kind of things. I'm telling you, the way that the body of Christ has been evangelizing 
and making converts and putting the emphasis on just believing on Jesus. These scriptures that I read out of John chapter 8 are uh, against that. I don't know how we can reconcile the way we're doing it. saying just believe on the Lord. It is true that all you have to do is believe, but it's got to be more than a head acknowledgement. It's got to be a heart commitment and you have to continue in that to the point that you get set free and start being a disciple. You know, the very word disciple means that you are being mentored by somebody that somebody else is teaching you. Basically, the only people who grow and mature today are people that disciple themselves. And so it's not truly discipleship if you're doing it to yourself. There are some people who are so motivated that they get in and praise God for radio and television and books and tapes, CDs. You can get hold of this information and you can disciple yourself. And because of the situation, there are people that are doing things abnormally. But the way that God intended it is that if you lead a person into faith in the Lord, if they begin to believe on the Lord, it is your responsibility to disciple that person. And if every person here, you know, last night we had a thousand people. We probably have around six, seven hundred here this morning. If, if we had six or seven hundred people that got hold of this and you got discipled to the point that you could disciple another person. You know, if we just took, say, let's say 500 people. If we had 500 people that did this and every six months you just shared your faith and then discipled that person. Taught them the word of God. Got them mature. At the end of uh, six months from now, we'd have a thousand believers. In, um, in a year, we would have 2,000 believers. In uh, 18 months, we would have 4,000 believers. In two years, we would have 8,000 believers. And you just keep following that out. In 10 years, it would change nations. It would change the world. This is what God called us to do is to go and make disciples, not just converts. There's a difference. And if we would follow God's plan, man, it has exponential results. And this is the reason that we're so excited about the Bible college because the Bible college is doing what God commissioned the body of Christ to do. And you know, again, I'm not against churches. I'm for them. But I'm saying for whatever reason, the vast majority of churches will use a facility one hour a week, two hours a week. You aren't going to be discipled two hours a week. Did you know that going to Bible college is the equivalent of about 20 plus years worth of church attendance? Two years. You get over 20 years worth of church attendance. And, that, and we see it happen. We see people that come in one way. They're timid, they're shy, they're insecure, they're suffering themselves. They come in and as we disciple them and teach them what Jesus said and teach them the gospel, we see people's lives just change. And they come in one way and leave another way. It's, it's miraculous. It's like a miracle. You just have this door, they enter in over here and when they leave this door, they're a changed person. And it happens every single time. There are many of you that are desiring change in your life. You know that there needs to be change in your life. And so you come to a meeting like this and you want someone to lay hands on you. And again, it can happen that way. If the only way for you, say for instance, a healing, the only way for you to get healed is for you to just learn the word of God and renew your mind and grow to the point that you could reach out and receive healing on your own. If that was the only way that a person could be healed, 
then what would happen to the person who just believes today and the doctor said, you're going to be dead next week. And it's going to be a year's growth process before they get strong enough to believe and receive. Well, then that would mean that the people who just now get born again wouldn't have the opportunity because they couldn't renew their mind. So to deal with that situation, God has people in the body of Christ, uh, certain ministers that have the gifts of healings and the gift of miracles so that if you just got saved and if you aren't mature yet and you don't know how to believe God, then you can go to somebody with one of those special anointings and they can pray for you and you can get healed off of that anointing without you having to grow and mature. That can happen and it does happen. But you know what? God never intended that these anointed people be a substitute for you becoming a disciple. It's just a stopgap, temporary measure to help you while you're growing and maturing. And so God has compassion on you and he has people that have special anointings that could help you to receive your healing or your deliverance or your prosperity. And miracles do happen, but God never intended that you live that way. His will is that every single person grow and mature to where you can be walking in health. You know, so many people, I mentioned a lot of people last night, but the Moors back there, it wasn't me that prayed for them. They got hold of the truth and it was the truth that set them free. And Alan is a walking miracle. Scott Forsyth is here and I didn't pray for him. He got hold of the word and it was the truth that set them free. Praise God. Uh, Ashley and Carly, they had only been two weeks getting discipled. They weren't to a place yet to where they could just believe for their daughter, Hannah. So God used me and I prayed, but you know what? They stood, they stood. It was their faith too, but see, they needed some help because they were only two weeks into it and their daughter couldn't last another six months. She only had a few days left and praise God. I was able to pray and help them. But you know what? Now they are, they're growing and they're maturing and they are disciples. And now they are seeing other people miraculously set free. That's the way that God meant for it to work. Yes, you can draw on these anointings to help you temporarily, but it was never intended that you have to follow somebody around and go to their meetings to get healed because you aren't believing God and being a disciple yourself. I'm telling you the body of Christ doesn't even have this concept of everybody being mature. Instead, we have the concept of the clergy and the laity. And there's certain people that have the ability to flow with God. And we've made this distinction. God never intended that. There are people that are called into full-time ministry, but every one of you ought to be able to do what I'm doing. Every one of you can learn the word of God. I don't have these gifts of healing or miracles. I'm just Joe Blow Believer. Amen. And yet I've seen people raised from the dead and blind eyes open just through the renewal of my mind. It says these signs will follow them that believe. You don't have to be the, the uh, super duper as Wendell calls them. You don't have to be the special person. If you're a believer, you can do these things. Jesus said, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father. That's for every born again believer. Brothers and sisters, every one of you, if you are truly born again, if you have made Jesus your Lord, every one of you have this potential of walking in a supernatural realm to where you hear the voice of God. You know things that other people don't know. You perceive things that other people don't perceive. You don't get depressed and discouraged and stressed out the way that everybody else does. You don't have the same fears and phobias. 
You don't fall prey to every sickness. You don't have the same things that everybody else has. When sickness comes around, it doesn't have to affect you. You don't have to go through a recession the way that the world goes through a recession because the Lord supplies all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Every person in here has the potential of doing that, but it's only the truth that you know that sets you free. And the sad thing is many people have become believers acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God, but they aren't disciples. God never intended this. God wants you to be a disciple. God wants you to believe all things that Jesus commanded us. And I tell you, you need to do it. And again, you can self-disciple yourself, but in a sense, that's an oxymoron. You aren't truly a disciple if it's self-done. You need, to, you need to sit and have somebody who can teach you and explain the Word of God to you. And if you are in a church that isn't doing that, I'd suggest you get out of that church and get into one that's teaching the Word of God. I couldn't tell you how many people come to me and they, they're coming here in a sense bootlegging the gospel. You're wanting me to minister to you and you're wanting to get healed and you're wanting to get prospered and set free and yet you're going to go back to a church that doesn't even believe that Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life. You're going back to a church that will promote homosexuality and, and everything that's contrary to the word of God. And you aren't going to be discipled. You aren't going to sit under the word of God. And you're going to come and just depend on a few days in Colorado to solve your problems. Well, you might get a miracle. But you know what? You'll need another one soon. You'll just go from one crisis to the next. You need to be discipled. And this is the job of the church. The church should be making disciples, not just converts. It isn't just a place that you can go and pay your tithes and, and have, you know, a little bit of fellowship and stuff. It ought to be intense. The early New Testament church meant daily from house to house. And they abode in the apostles' doctrine. They were being discipled. That's what the church is meant to do. And again, if the church as a whole, there are individual churches that are great, but if the church as a whole was doing its job, there would be no need for a Bible college. The only reason that the Bible college has a validity is because the church isn't doing what God called it to do and people aren't being taught. And so they have to come to some place and be discipled. And we, we're praying and believing God to raise up leaders that'll go out and start godly churches and people that'll be youth pastors and children's pastors that'll be teaching people the word of God so that people can mature and praise God. You don't always have to be running into somebody else's house when the storm, storm hits, but you can build your house on a rock and you can be the person that other people come to when the storm hits. You know, those of you who have taken a week off or even if you've come here just for a day or so, those of you that come to a conference like this, you're the fanatics. This isn't your nod to God crowd. You aren't getting credit for this. It's not your Sunday group. And you people are, are fanatical, excited about the Lord. You should be a disciple. Many of you are. And if you aren't, you, ought, you are a prime candidate for becoming a disciple. You're wanting more than just something where you go and feel good because you've paid your debt. Man, you're wanting to know the word of God. 
This is what it's all about. And I can promise you, as you know the truth, the truth that you know, the truth that becomes revelation to you sets you free. And then you will be his disciple indeed. And that's what God is after. And I just want to encourage you, as good as it is that you take time off and come to a conference like this, you can see a conference like this in a week's worth of teaching. You can see it make a difference in your life. But it's going to have to be, you have to continue in this. It can't be something that you just do. Somebody says, well, man, I got to work a job. I can't live in the Bible all the time. Did you know you can renew your mind? You can get into the Word of God. And even though you're doing your job, you are still having the Word of God flow in your life constantly. I've done it. I hadn't always been a full-time minister. I went through Vietnam, and that's really where I started being a disciple. And I'd be in bunkers where the marijuana smell was so strong, people were amazed that I wouldn't get high off of other people smoking dope. And in the midst of that, I'd sit there and study my Bible and study the Word. And God began to disciple me and teach me things. It doesn't matter what your situation is. You can be a disciple. But first of all, you've got to see that this is the goal. It's not just getting your body healed or coming and getting a miracle from God and going back and being carnal. It's the goal of every Christian should be to be a disciple, to know the Word of God, to have a personal relationship with God to the point that not only you're set free, but you could set somebody else free. You can't set another person free until you're free. And brothers and sisters, this is what we're attempting to do this week. And some of you are going to receive big benefit, but I'm promising you it's got to go beyond one week. It has to become a lifestyle. You have to become a follower, a learner. This needs to be your goal is to be like Jesus so that if somebody watches you, they can tell that you're a Christian. You don't have to tell them. They can tell by looking at you. Instead of you just going and passing out tracks, people want to see your tracks. It doesn't matter how high you jump. It's a matter of whether you walk straight when you hit the ground. Man, there needs to be some depth and maturity. And, and I just believe that that's what God wants. And I'm believing that this morning, God is going to put this in your heart, that this is what the Christian life is all about. There is no sacrifice. There's nothing that you have to give up that is as important as becoming a disciple. Some of you, this will cost you your favorite TV show. Some of you will get to where at Trivial Pursuit, you're no good. But man, it's worth it. When Jamie's parents were alive, we'd pay Trivial Pursuit with them. And you know what? I'd just sit there. It was like, I've missed 40 years of American culture. I didn't know who, I don't know who actors are, movie stars. I just don't know very much outside of the Bible. I'm just ignorant about it. And uh, we were playing Trivial Pursuit one time and I just was sitting there being a bump on a log. I felt like, man, I'm good for nothing. And so I, I said, Father, I'm believing for a word of knowledge. I want you to give me a word of knowledge and I'm going to answer this next question. And so I was praying and this next question came up. What magazine debuted April the 1st, 1953? <laughs> and God gave me a word of knowledge. The other guys were all blank like, man, we don't have a clue. And I said, it's Playboy. 
So that was our answer. And sure enough, that was right. The only question I got was what magazine debuted. And the only thing I knew about was Playboy. And I tried to tell them as a word of knowledge, but they, they thought maybe there was a hidden past or something. But I mean, that's the only way I can participate in stuff is through a word of knowledge. I just don't know much outside of the Bible, but praise God, I've seen my son raised from the dead and I've seen other good things and I I would recommend it. It may cost you some current events. You may not be able to talk sports with everybody if you start becoming a disciple and get to where that's your goal. But you know what? It'd be well worth it. Amen. I'd rather be able to talk the word of God with people than to talk sports. So I just want to encourage you that God wants you to be disciples. That, that is a command. As much as we've emphasized, you must be born again. You must be a disciple. You, you must be. If you are going to fulfill God's purpose for your life, it's not enough to just say, well, I acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and believe on Him and then have gone through your life just depressed and discouraged and sick and poor and unable to do anything. The Word of God will complete you and make you perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Amen. That's what God's will for you is. And I'm going to quit right here, but let me just say that I can't teach this without saying that there are many of you that are in a situation that you don't know how to become a disciple. You don't know how to do all of this. And you know what? This is what our Bible college is all about. There are many of you here that you may have come thinking that you just needed a little touch from the Lord or somebody to pray a prayer for you. And what you really need, you need to become a a disciple. And I can guarantee you, we will help you to become a disciple. We can't make you a disciple. You have to cooperate. But if you'll just put yourself in neutral, we'll push you. Amen. (laughs) You will become a disciple. And so many of you... This is something that God's wanting you to do. Praise the Lord. Father, I just love you and I thank you for the word of God and thank you for the Holy Spirit that is sent to teach us all truth and lead us into all truth and bring all things to our remembrance that Jesus has spoken unto us. Father, I know that this is what your heart cry is, is for every one of us to become a disciple so that we could reflect you and reproduce you in the lives of other people. And Father, I pray that you would speak to people's hearts here today and help them, Father, to make the decision that they will be a disciple. And whatever that takes, whether it's being in Bible school or whether it just is them totally delving into the Word on their own, I believe that, Father, you are causing people, drawing them towards being a disciple today, that they are making this decision And that, Father, they aren't going to hear you say that you are of your father, the devil. That they will continue on until they become a true disciple of the Lord Jesus. And, Father, I thank you for that. We agree and receive it in Jesus' name. You know, I can't let this go without saying that if maybe you're a person that you thought, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I thought that that was sufficient. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that there's one God? You, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. There may be people right here that have thought that, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that enough? And yet you know in your heart that you aren't a disciple, that there isn't any reality, that you don't have a personal relationship. It's like you have to have somebody else tell you all of the time what God has to say. You can't hear God. 
I'm sure there's people right here in this room that would fit into the category of what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 8. You have believed. But you know what? There isn't that true conversion in your heart yet. You need to make that decision and you need to truly be born again and make Jesus the Lord of your life and begin this process. And, and you cannot become a disciple without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It cannot be done. The Holy Spirit is the teacher that reveals Jesus to us. It has to come by revelation. You can't just instill these things in people's brain. It has to be with your heart. And the Holy Spirit is the agent that God uses to reveal himself and to make the Word of God come alive. So if there's anybody here today who hasn't truly made Jesus their Lord, again, maybe you've acknowledged that he exists, you believe, but if you were to stand before God, is there boldness? Is there confidence? Do you know that you've passed from death unto life or are you just wishing and hoping? You need to be sure. And then there may be some people that are truly born again, but you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't speak in tongues, which is not all that there is to it, but that's an important part of it. You need this power of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to become a disciple. Is there anybody here that would say, man, I need one or both of those. Would you pray for me? If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand and we want to pray with you before you leave this morning. Anybody? Help me if there's a hand up. I don't see any hands. Did everybody get free? Uh, here's some over here. Praise God. Amen. Anybody else? Here's some over here. You know, last night we had, I forget the exact numbers, about five or six that got born again. And then how many got 35 received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we've already had a lot of people receive, but praise God, we don't want to take it for granted that everybody in here has already got that. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? We want to pray with you right here and help you to begin this journey to being a disciple. Amen. Just come forward right now. Karen, come here. I forgot to mention this last night and this morning, but this is Karen Bean. She's with our television department and we have been taking little videos of people whose lives have been changed, healed, delivered or whatever. And we're doing interviews and we're putting those on our website and doing different things. And this is Karen Bean and she's out here. Uh, if any of you have a testimony, like I was talking to one of the chaplains in a prison and he was telling me about it. He's in a prison where they send all of the geriatric patients to die. And they have gotten hold of a better health care package. And they are seeing these old prisoners get healed and says there's a revival sweeping the prison. <laughs> Praise God. So I'd love to get that testimony on TV and, and have some use of it. So anyway, this is Karen Bean. And she's going to be out here. So if any of you have a great testimony, we'd love for you to come and share it uh, with her. Praise God. Man, this is awesome. Praise the Lord. Anybody else here want to come and receive? You know, if you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be up here. Somebody says, well, I, my church teaches that you don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to. You get to. It's a blessing. Amen. It's a, it's a privilege. Somebody says, well, they don't preach that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. <laughs> but you know what? I'm telling you, it's true. It's real. It'll work. Praise the Lord. Awesome. All right. Before we can pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you have to first of all be born again. You have to know that you've passed from death unto life. Jesus said that he was the giver 
And the Holy Spirit was the gift that he was going to give. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody here that's not absolutely sure about your personal relationship with Jesus? You want to pray first and be born again. Anybody? Right here. Anybody else? We're going to pray with her first. Anybody else? All of you born again. You know it. But are you born again? Oh, good. Well, then you need to speak in tongues. So we'll pray with you about that. But first of all, we're going to pray and make sure that Jesus is your personal Lord. Isn't that awesome? God loves you. He wants you free. He's been looking forward to this day for decades. Isn't this awesome? Well, I'm going to lead her in a prayer. I'd like everybody just to pray after me so that she won't feel like We're all listening to her. And if you'll say these words, I'm going to pray what you need to pray. And if you will pray these words and believe it in your heart, it's not magic. You have to believe it. But if you'll believe it, you'll pass from death unto life. You'll become a new person. Isn't that good? You believe that? So let's everybody say this. Say, Father, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. Lord. I believe that you are alive. alive. And that you now live in me. me. I am forgiven. I am am saved. saved. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. You believe that? Welcome to the family. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. You know what? On the outside, you still look the same. You're still a woman, but on the inside, you're a brand new creature. And I've got a book that will help explain it. And as you learn these truths, you will be free from all of the things that Satan has tried to destroy your life with. Isn't that good? All right. So now everybody here has already made Jesus your Lord. And according to the scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what he made you to be. So he wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have him. You don't have to beg and plead. Some people teach that you got to spend a long time, but it's just real simple. If you'll just open up the doors of your heart and allow, the Holy Spirit's going to come into your life and give you power like you've never had before. And you'll start seeing supernatural results. Amen. So we're just going to pray one time. And then I've got our prayer ministers that I'd like to ask them to come up here. And they're going to stand behind you. And we're going to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit, but then they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So you can actually release the Holy Spirit through laying hands on people. So we're going to ask, and then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power into you. And then I want you to believe that God kept his promise. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He promised. So we're going to ask, and then I want you to start thanking him and just say, thank you that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that I receive. And you start thanking him, and then we're going to pray in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking him, speaking in this other language. And as you hear this, then I want you to just join in and pray in tongues with us. And I know some of you think, well, I don't know how to pray in tongues. What do I do? I've got a book that's going to explain it. But if you're ready, you can speak in tongues. 
Let me just say one thing, that the number one thing that stops people from speaking in tongues is that they think that the Holy Spirit's going to force it. He's going to just take control of you and you will speak uncontrollably. That's not true. The Bible says they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the inspiration. It's just like when I taught today. I believe God spoke through me, but He didn't take my mouth and make it talk. I talked. It was me, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's the way speaking in tongues is. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring it, but you do the speaking. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on. We're going to start thanking God. And then I want you to just join in and pray with us. Amen. And we'll give you a book that will explain it. And I believe this is going to change your life. Amen. Let's everybody here just agree with them. Praise God. I believe that this is going to change your life. You're going to be stronger than horseradish. Isn't it great that these little girls are coming up here? Man, what a deal to get the Holy Ghost and grow up without all of the pain and the suffering that other people have. Father, we thank you for all of these. They're all born again now. Thank you for this lady who just made you her Lord. We believe she passed from death unto life. According to the word, we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we open up the doors of our temple. We welcome you. We invite you in, Holy Spirit, to come into our life, to fill us, to control us. We want your power. We want your supernatural ability. We want these gifts of the Holy Spirit, this gift of speaking in tongue. We welcome you and all of your power to flow into our life. And we lay hands on you right now and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We just loose this power to flow into every one of these. Father, we release your anointing and power now and we believe that you come and indwell everyone. So Father, we believe it. Now we receive, we thank you. I want you to lift your hands like this. When somebody sticks a gun in your back, you lift your hands. The Bible says when you lift your hands, you are giving thanks unto God. You're you're, uh, glorifying God. And just start thanking him out loud. Talk out loud. And say, thank you, Father, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. From this time forth, it's not me, but it's you living in me. I have your power. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's just worship the Lord in tongues so that they won't feel like we're listening to them. And as we speak in tongues, you can do this. You have been given this gift. You just begin to start speaking. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue will be unique to you. It's not going to be the same. You can't say what they're saying, but it'll get you to talking and then just don't quit. Father, we thank you. We believe that right now this power and anointing is flowing up out of the midst of these people. Father, we thank you that you are enabling them to speak in tongues right now. Thank you, Jesus. That's just, that's it. Be bold. Speak out. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I believe everyone, I'm speaking in tongues. You know what? You may not understand what's happening, but this is a powerful, powerful gift. Praise the Lord. Let me have your attention for a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But you know what? It's important that you understand what happened. And when I spoke in tongues, I didn't feel a thing. 
And sometimes people think, well, I didn't feel anything. It's not a feeling that we're after. It's something that you do by faith. And anyway, I've written a lot of stuff in a book that will help explain this to you. And I tell you, it's really important that you understand what happened because this could change your life. Totally transform it. So this is Ashley right over here. And uh, he's the one with his hand up. And if you would just go with him, he wants to give you a book. And we'll have people there that can answer your questions and uh, pray with you. Anything that we can do to help you. But it's important. So if you would, just follow Ashley right here and let us give you a book. Amen. I believe this is going to change your life. Praise the Lord. God bless you all. Thanks. Well, this little girl was speaking in tongues, huh? Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. Amen. Just go that way and let them give you a book. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, that's awesome. You know, this word about being a disciple is a hard word in some ways because it's just so different. And most people, they just want to get saved and get an insurance policy and then hold on and go to heaven. And it's all, when we all get to heaven, what a day it'll be. But I tell you what, you can pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can begin to start experiencing heaven now and you can start being heaven's blessing to somebody else instead of the person that's always needing something else. So anyway, these are some of our prayer ministers. We got other prayer ministers. Could they come up here? And if any of you need prayer, uh, I hope I didn't put you off by talking about how that you should be able to believe and receive. If you're in a situation where you need some help, praise God, we're glad to help you. We just don't want you to substitute us for you growing yourself, but we are glad to pray with you and help you along the way. So if there's anybody here that needs prayer for anything, these are our prayer ministers. We would like to encourage you to come up here and let us pray with you. Anybody need prayer for anything? If you do, just get up out of your seat right now and come forward and let us pray with you. I haven't got a report last night, I mean from last night, but I know that we saw a lot of miracles happen, a lot of people healed. We'll be sharing that with you tonight. If you need prayer for anything, just come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers minister to you. The rest of you, praise God. I hope you enjoy a great Colorado afternoon. It's going to be beautiful. And don't forget, we'll be back here at 7 p.m. this evening. So God bless you. Have a great afternoon.